Hi, my name is Stacy, and this is The Creative Table, a place where everyone has a seat because we are all creatively made. I'm back! Oh my goodness, y'all. It has been a hot minute since I have recorded my voice. I truly had every intention and plan and amazing list of episodes all written out to begin the first part of January, shortly after a small celebration for the rocket scientist's retirement. And then Rona came knocking at our door. Now, I have a whole episode just on both of us getting sick, but that is for another time. Needless to say, while we both only had what are considered mild cases that started on January 8th for him and January 14th for me, those mild cases drop-kicked us both, and we are still recovering. I would like to say it is a two-step forward, one-step-back kind of dance. While he had a tougher time of it during the illness, I still have many lingering symptoms, including entering my seventh week now of no taste and no smell. And if you think that has stopped me from having my daily beautiful cup of coffee, you would be thinking wrongly. So here is my one-line TED Talk. Wear a mask. This thing is no joke. And we are so very close to seeing a more normal way of living once again. This is no time to loosen the grip on all of those mitigation strategies. So now back to this episode and a reboot, so to speak. I have actually been holding on to this particular episode for quite a while. I mean, a long while, like before I even started the podcast. It started with looking at these amazing tin Monrovian stars hanging in one of the decor shops that's close by my house. Side note, one of the great benefits of living so close to the Mexico border is that we have some amazing businesses owned by local families who import incredible artisan goods from south of the border. As I was sitting home later that night, I started wondering what the story behind Moravian stars was. So I dove into some research and I fell even more in love with these beautiful pieces of art. Spoiler alert, they're not really from Mexico. So let me say that what my research discovered was, of course, more information on the stars themselves. But even more so, it's what a beautiful history of the Moravian revival and a lesson on peace, conflict resolution, prayer, and community that I think about almost weekly. To me, the creativity of these people to bring about unified community that still continues to this day is breathtaking and admirable. It shows a creative God at work. Of course, they are human, and so there is certainly some areas that might be called into question, as there are with all of us. Still, I simply stand in awe of this refugee church and the work they stepped into. In the church world, this little revival touched the entire world as lives of famous preachers, songwriters, and theologians were shaped through the prayers and evangelism of the Moravians. According to Wikipedia, the Moravian Church, or the Moravian Brethren, is one of the oldest Protestant denominations in the world. It dates back to the Bohemian Reformation of the 15th century, 
in the kingdom of Bohemia. The name by which the denomination is commonly known comes from the original exiles who fled to Saxony, that's in Germany, in 1722 from Moravia to escape religious persecution. The modern day denomination or Unidas Fratrum has about 1 million members worldwide and continues to draw on traditions established during the 18th century. They place a high value on denominational collaboration, personal humility, missions, and music. Now, while I love the academic account of the history, it is the story of the Moravian revival that strikes the chords in my heart and has really pushed me to lean into establishing spiritual rhythms, especially in prayer over the last six months. The refugee Moravian colony from Bohemia settled on the estate of Count Nicholas Zinzendorf in Hernhut, Germany. Um, and it is there that a powerful revival began in 1727. It actually launched a hundred years of continuous prayer. And within 25 years, a hundred Moravians were missionaries, more than the rest of the Protestant church had sent out in two centuries prior. A Moravian historian wrote about what occurred as the church experienced an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the 13th, on the, I'm sorry, on the 13th of August, 1727. He wrote, We saw the hand of God and his wonders. From that time, scarcely a day passed, but what we beheld his almighty workings among us. A great hunger after the word took possession of us, so that we had to have three services every day at 5 a.m., at 7.30 a.m., and at 9 p.m. Everyone desired, above everything else, that the Holy Spirit might have full control. Self-love and self-will, as well as all disobedience, disappeared, and an overwhelming flood of grace swept us all out into the great ocean of divine love. That's amazing. No one present could actually tell what happened on that Wednesday morning, the 13th of August. Um, And it was a special uh, communion service that had been called. Within that service, they would say they hardly knew if they had been on earth or in heaven. Now, Count Zinzendorf was a young nobleman in Hernhut, and he had actually been called to Jesus at a quite early age. When he saw that the Moravian refugees were in his area, he offered his estate and the grounds surrounding to them, and he also soon became their young leader at the age of 27. He was consumed with bringing about connection, community, and harmony between the denominations that had allowed arguments over different theology to drive a wedge of disunity between all of the churches. Does it sound familiar? Today we can say that's happening in more than churches. It's happening in our country, in our world, all around us we see disunity. Zinzendorf chose to visit all of the adult members of the deeply divided community. He drew up a covenant calling upon each of them to, quote, seek out and emphasize the points in which they agreed, rather than stressing their differences. On May 12, 1727, they all signed an agreement to dedicate their lives, as Zinzendorf had dedicated his, to the service of Jesus Christ. The timeline to this revival 
And then what would begin that 100 plus years of 24-7 prayer looks something like this. Again, this is all in the year 1727. So on July 16th, many of the community began to meet together on their own to pour out their hearts in prayer and in hymns. On August 5th, the Count spent a whole night in prayer with about 12 others following a large meeting um, for prayer at midnight. On Sunday, the 10th of August, during a service, the entire congregation was overcome by the conviction of God. They continued until midnight in prayer and singing, weeping and praying. On Wednesday, the 13th of August, the Holy Spirit was poured out on all of them. Their prayers were answered in ways far beyond anyone's expectations. Many of them decided to set aside certain times of the day for continued earnest prayer. On the 26th of August, 24 men and 24 women committed to continue praying in intervals of one hour each day and each night. And on the 27th of August, the next day, this 24-7 prayer movement began. Others joined and the number involved soon increased to 77. They all carefully observed the hour which had been given to them. They had a weekly meeting where the prayer needs of the community were given to them. That astonishing prayer meeting beginning in 1727 went on for 100 years. It was unique. It was known as the hourly intercession, and it involved relays of men and women in prayer without ceasing. That prayer also led to action, especially evangelism. More than 100 missionaries left that village community in the next 25 years, all constantly supported in prayer. Can you imagine what it would look like if we did that today? Even as we sit here in 2021, there is still a 24-7 prayer movement that was co-founded by pastor and writer Pete Gregg in England. I'll put a note to that uh, website in the show notes. If this ragtag community of Christ-following refugees could change their world with creative, around-the-clock prayers and commitment to unity and humility, how much more should we be able to do to bring about change in our communities? I don't know about you, but I want to try to endeavor to be creative in those areas, too. But Stacy, what about the stars, you might be asking? After all, that is what sparked this little uh, research adventure in the first place, right? Well, the first Moravian star is known to have originated in the 1830s at a Moravian boys' school in Germany, probably as a geometry lesson or project. Um, around 1880, a gentleman named Peter Vanderbeek who was an alumnus of the boys' school, began making the stars and their instructions available for sale through his bookstore. Peter's son Harry went on to start the Hernhut Star Factory, which was the main source of the stars until World War I. Although it was heavily damaged at the end of World War II, the star factory resumed manufacturing them. Briefly, it was taken over by the East German government in the 1950s, but the factory was returned to the Moravian Church and a company called the Abraham Derninger Company, and they actually continue to make the stars in Hernhut to this day. While the original geometry lesson uh, star had 110 points, I believe, most stars now have about 26, 
one of those points being used to hang it. And while the Moravian stars are used in Christmas decorations and to walk through Advent in the Moravian churches, you can find them used in many churches wherever Moravian missionaries have been sent. Here in the U.S., the city of Winston-Salem, North Carolina, um, which actually has Moravian origins dating back to 1766, uses a Moravian star as their official Christmas decoration on their streets. In addition, a 31-foot Moravian star, one of the largest in the world, sits at the top of the North Tower of Wake Forest Baptist Medical Center during the Advent and Christmas seasons. Another star sits under Wake Forest University's Waite Chapel during Advent and Christmas seasons as well. Okay, I will admit clearly this was a weird and abnormal episode. Or was it? It speaks to the beauty of the creative ways we can step into being a part of unifying our circles of influence. More than that, it speaks to how we can step out of ourselves and commit to live selflessly, to recognize we are nothing without each other. Thanks for indulging my tangent that all started with a beautiful star. I promise to get back to more consistent episode releases and blog posts as well. If you haven't yet subscribed to our email newsletter, A Seat at the Table, head over to the website, again, I'll put the link in the show notes, and subscribe. And my guess is you might be blessed in a creative way. Until next time, go out and find a creative way to make someone smile.